Indeed, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, it is touching to be reminded of your Father heart. A Father heart that is tender, that cares each one of our joys and each one of our sorrows. And that we can share this life with one who purely is interested in our good. Lord, you know our joy as we see souls who have turned from the things of this world that could never satisfy and have made right and found peace in their Savior. Lord, we pray for a blessing that they can grow in deep roots and bring fruit to your honor and glory. We pray for those who are struggling with illness and for whom that struggle is not a a short-term thing. Lord, we pray specifically for Sister Olga and Sister Monica and for Vanessa Taba in Windsor and many others, Lord, who are struggling. Encourage them. Lord, thou art the great physician, thou art able even to bring relief and healing and give wisdom to those who are in charge of their care and comfort and strength. Lord, we pray for those who have lost loved ones. And Lord, thou art a father to the fatherless, a husband to the widow. Thou alone canst meet the deep ache in those hearts. Father, we are so thankful that as we go through this life, that even when the winds and the waves are far beyond our ability to navigate safely, that we know we are with, with you and that you can say, peace be still, and that ne- nothing is beyond your control and that we can trust safely in you and in your hand. Father, go with us even this afternoon as we would open your word again. We thank you for speaking to us clearly this morning. We pray, Lord, that once again, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would lay bare the thoughts and intents, and that it would minister what we need, as only your spirit can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been uh, reading through the Bible chronologically, and it's been very helpful to me to understand a little bit of how things fit together. And one of the passages that uh, the Lord laid on my heart to share is found in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem, 
and blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a sign of fire in Beth, Beth Hazarim, for evil appeareth out of the north and great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flocks shall come unto her. They shall pitch their tents against her roundabout. They shall feed everyone in his place. Prepare ye war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goeth away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. Arise, let us go by night, and let us destroy your palaces. For thus hath the Lord of hosts say, said, Who ye down trees and cast a mount against Jerusalem? This is the city to be visited. She is holy oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together, for even the husband with the wife shall be taken, and the aged with him that is full of days. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I said, Watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, and behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba and sweet cane from the far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I, shall, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people. And the fathers and the sons together shall fall upon them, and the neighbor and his friend shall perish. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men of war against thee, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish hath taken hold of us in pain as of a woman in travail or childbirth. Go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy and fear is on every side. 
O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people, that thou mayest know and try their way. They are all grievous revolters, walking with slanders. They are brass and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows are burned. The lead is consumed to the fire. The founder melteth in vain, for the wicked are not plucked away. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. A very sobering passage indeed in which the prophet Jeremiah cries out and uh, this warning to the people of Jerusalem. Jeremiah begins by saying he was called to this message during the days of Josiah and his son Zedekiah. If you think about it, that's somewhat surprising because Josiah was a king who was uh, very much after the heart of God. In his days, uh, they discovered the Bible. The Old Testament had been lost for many generations. And as he set out at a young age of 18 to clean up the temple, they discovered the Word of God and brought it to him. And um, he was very much um, repentant when he, the, the word was read to him and he realized that uh, the things that were written in the book, the, 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 the laws that the people had broken, the curse, the, the warnings God had given to those who would break those laws, he realized that they were in big trouble with God. And he humbled himself. He repented. He... Uh, asked um, God he, through the prophetess what, what they should do. And because of his humility, the hold of the prophetess said, because your heart was tender, because you did respond, then I will still hold the people accountable. There will still become this time of destruction and punishment because sin will be punished, but I will not do it in your days. And just Josiah didn't leave it at that. He uh, went into the temple. He called all the people, small and great, into that temple. And he stood before them by the pillar. And he made a commitment, a covenant to God that he would follow God with all his heart and all his mind and all his soul, unreservedly. And all the people followed suit. And they also made that same commitment. And he was very thorough and he took every single idol and he didn't just throw it in the garbage peep. He ground it to powder. He uh, uh, put it in the river. He mixed it with dead men's bones so that it would be defiled and couldn't be reused. He was very thorough and not just in Jerusalem but went all the way through the land of Israel pulling down, destroying, grinding to powder every single idol that was an offense to God. And here we are. You know, the Bible is not a fairy tale. Most fairy tales end with, and they lived happily ever after. And, and when I would read that story in, in Sunday school, it seemed like one of those 
happily ever after endings. You've got uh, a young king, you know, making the right decision, responding in the right way before God, and, and, and leading not only himself, but the whole nation in, in a thorough repentance and a commitment to follow God. And we say, wow, isn't that great? Now, finally, after generations of evil and violence and, and idolatry, they're on the right path, and, and finally, things will go right. And of course, maybe the children's Sunday school story will end there. But when you continue reading in the Bible, it doesn't end there. And here in Jeremiah, we have the prophet speaking to most likely that next generation. And it seems that this repentance did not last. It seems that despite all of Josiah's thoroughness in trying to uproot every single idol, he could not uproot the idolatry within the heart of the people. Despite his example of being humble and repenting publicly before God and leading them to the same, it did not change that next generation's heart set. It didn't change his own son's heart. And here we are, and Jeremiah is speaking to the next generation. He's saying, judgment is coming. Get ready to leave. You're going to see the, the, the signal fires from, from Tekoa and Beth Hazarem, some cities a little bit to the southeast. And I am going to send, God says, uh, a, an army from the north. They're going to be ferocious, and they're going to, um, going to put siege works against your city and they will destroy it. As a fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. The people of Jerusalem uh, produced naturally, just as a fountain, you know, bubbles up that clean, pure water out of the ground. The, Violence and evil seem to come naturally out of that city and out of those people's hearts. Sometimes interesting when I go for a walk in the woods and all of a sudden you see in the ground, you know, there's no source. It is a source out of itself, out of the ground itself. You see water bubbling out there. And even so in this human heart, and and we can't say that this is limited to, you know, uh, 800 B.C., We know that today also, naturally out of the human heart, rebellion, self-will, selfishness, uh, desire to take advantage of others and to have our will at the expense of whatever cost, all these, these evil things come out and God is going to judge that. From the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one of them is given to covetousness. Even from the prophet to the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Now, here's a sin. 
that we don't hear preached about that often. And yet, this sin of covetousness is actually right in that list in the New Testament where, you know, sometimes we look, well, what, what are the unforgivable sins? Sometimes we just like to look for boundaries and, and, and where the guardrail is and, and, and what the constraints are. And we'll say, okay, well, what exactly does the Bible say is unforgivable? Well, you know, there's that passage that says, where Paul says, people who commit these things will not enter in the kingdom of heaven. And, and sure, in there you get things you would expect, uh, idolatry and, and murder. But you also have this one here, covetousness. It's right there in the Ten Commandments. And yet, it's not right there in people's mind as one of those big bad things we need to avoid. In fact, we think we need it to keep the economy going. But in God's eyes, covetousness equals idolatry. And when we think we need to have something that's you know, someone else has, in order to make ourselves happy. We think that's what's going to make me happy. And then we bend our rules and our integrity in order to get that thing. God says he's deeply offended. It's right there on his number 10 on his list. It's right there with the list of the things that is going to keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. And here, it's something that's going to keep people Keep people from telling the truth at a critical time in history. We have the spiritual leaders that are, need to warn the people who have just strayed, who, were, who had good leadership and have gone back to evil, and, and judgment is coming, the, the, the Assyrian superpower is already building. It's like just a matter of time. And they need to be warned, but the prophet and the priest from the greatest to the least are silenced because they don't want to lose. Their integrity is compromised because they don't want to lose, whether it's financial gain in this case, or, or um, certainly we know from Jeremiah's personal experience uh, what kind of reward he got for telling the truth to Zedekiah being thrown in the pit. And instead... They gave a, um, says, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So, and we can see that this is the general trend in today's society, uh, whether it's the teacher in the classroom, whether it's the uh, preacher in the mega church that we say nice things that are not going to offend anybody. We make people feel good by telling them what they want to hear. We say, peace, peace. You know, your best life now, you are going to achieve your inner potential. You know, God wants to bless you. He's just waiting to open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing you cannot receive. And prosperity and health and all these things can be yours. You know, God is interested in your financial uh, improvement and in you having, uh, you know, wonderful relationships in a very comfortable, easy life here in North America. And he's interested in your 
All these things that sound like, yeah, those are the kind of things I would like. And uh, peace, peace. You know, you're going to have a life of ease, freedom from, from all the things that cause you hurt and pain in your life. This morning we heard about somebody who didn't have a life of ease. We heard about someone who God had chosen to be a vessel through which he would be glorified, one in whom he was glorified this morning. As we could see in this blind man, someone who knew the truth and uncompromisingly said, I know I was blind and I know I can see and all glory goes to to, to Jesus, the one who opened my eyes, who must be from God. As we need to also clearly testify that I was blind and now I see, thanks be to God alone. He went through suffering to get to that point. He went through, I don't know how many decades, it was at least two uh, or three, I don't know what the of age age is in the New Testament times, in order to be that vessel of glory. Apostle Paul was chosen to be a vessel. And God said, I want him to know what things he will suffer for my name's sake. That doesn't sound like peace, peace. It doesn't sound like prosperity and health and wealth. It doesn't sound like God's interested in us having a comfortable life here. God's interested in being glorified in our lives. And often that means we, it means uh, conflict with the world system. It means showing that our priorities don't align, align with the covetousness of this world, that we actually are interested in God's glory more than we are not being kicked out of the synagogue. And that we are willing to stand up for truth, but these prophets were not. <clears throat> Healed slightly. When you get a wound and you just cover it up, and maybe you can get some surface uh, adhesion of the skin and, and you've got something that looks a little better on the surface. There's no blood or gore, but, but underneath that corruption, the decay, the gangrene, the infection have not been rooted out. That's very dangerous. The root, the fount, has not been dealt with. And therefore, that person's life is at stake. Sometimes we need to sever limbs in order to keep that gangrene from killing the body. Even so, when we, either through platitudes, through belief in easy believism, through repentance that is superficial. The Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians 7 about repentance. And he says there's two kinds of sorrow. There's the sorrow of the world that worketh death and the sorrow of God that works true repentance not to be regretted. True repentance that produces a change and a transformation in one's life. On the one hand, you can feel sorry because you know you did things wrong. You know that your life is a mess because you did things wrong. 
And you can feel sad about that. But that type of repentance is not a thorough cleansing. It's not a full and deep repentance. <clears throat> to, to put it in perhaps a, a, a humorous illustration, there was a, a comic strip about peanuts where you know probably have you seen, uh, if you've seen that comic, you know, there's, there's Charlie Brown, the poor guy, and Lucy's always taking advantage of him, and she's saying, you know, kick the football and I'll hold it for you, and Charlie Brown goes and runs to kick the football, and then at the very last second, Lucy pulls it away, and Charlie Brown kicks with all his might, and there's no football there, and he lands on his back and is humiliated. And so at the beginning of this strip, Charlie, you know, Lucy's saying, do it again, and Charlie Brown you know, says and he's not going to do it this time, and Lucy says, oh, you know, I, you know, I, I can see now that I've been wrong. Um, I can see the, the pain in your eyes when, when uh, you... Uh, you know, you, you're hurt, and, you know, I, I see the error of my ways, you know. Can't you give, uh, give me one more chance? And so then Charlie Brown says, okay, he'll do that, and he runs and kicks it again, and, of course, she pulls it away at the last second, and, and the final comment she says is, you know, Charlie Brown, you have to learn the difference between recognizing the error of your ways and actually changing. And in, this, in the same way here, there's a difference between the slight healing of admitting, even confessing your sin, even acknowledging that you're wrong, and, and being truly sick of who you are, of truly feeling the, the disappointment, the wrath, the, the revulsion that God feels when he sees what we have done. And being willing to not only acknowledge that, but to leave it behind and to turn. Make a U-turn with your life and to, to not want to go back to something that is so hurtful, despicable, disgusting in God's eyes. True repentance produces things in our life. For one thing, someone who is truly repentant isn't looking at other people and saying, yes, I know I did this wrong, but do you know what they did? You know, yes, I ate this fruit, but this woman that you gave me, God, she gave it to me. You know, yes, I, I took the fruit, but this serpent beguiled me. You know, yes, I did this, but do you know how I was provoked? Do you know what my kids do? Do you know what my brothers and sisters do? Do you know what my, my uh, spouse did? Do you know what, you know, and, and we come up with excuses. Do you know my circumstances? <clears throat> A true repentance takes ownership for your own sin rather than exposing someone else's. And if we want to get right with God, we're not going to get there by pointing out other people's failures. If we want to get right with God, we need to get honest about the fount that is within. 
and we need to be able to not only stuff that fount, you know, with some rocks and dirt to try to suppress it, and hopefully nobody will notice that there's a little bit of water leaking out here and there, but we need to dig it out. We need to get at the root, and we need to let God, who only he can, deal with that. As we, in true repentance, are willing to not only reluctantly part with something that we enjoy, but to feel God's disgust and and have and if we read in 2 Corinthians 7 that there's a there's a hatred, there's a desire to clear oneself, there's a desire to distance oneself from the sin, there's a, a clearing of oneself, there's a, a, a desire to revenge even that you want nothing to do with something that you see now has had such a terrible blot in God's sight and destructive influence in yourself and others. We don't want slight healing. We don't want pretender repentance. We don't want surface healing without dealing with the corruption within us. speaks here about standing in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. This is not saying that we should always do what, what used to be done. But you can understand in the context here that one generation ago, there was a man named Josiah who wanted to distance himself from sin, who was uncompromising with destroying every idol, who was tender-hearted and repentant at the word of God. And that's the old way that we want to get back to. Not a modern way, a postmodern way, a relativistic way where everybody's kind of right if we interpret it in the right frame of mind and we can just all get along. But rather, now we go back to a way where there is truth that is uncompromised. There is one truth. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no name under heaven by which we may be saved other than the name of Jesus. We thankfully can point to those who have been faithful before us those who have been uncompromising. And time uh, has, has proven often those who remain faithful and those who may be swayed. And we want to follow those examples that are true. And the ultimate example is Jesus, who is the way and the truth and life. The problem was these people knew those ways, they had seen in their own lifetime and in their near memory of only one generation past those who had been uncompromisingly faithful, those who had repented sincerely, and they said, we will not walk therein. They heard the warning sound that God had given through the prophets, through Jeremiah himself in this very passage, and many others that you can read and in, in, in parallel passages that God was sending multiple prophets warning them of the same things. And they heard the trumpet of God's word and they said, we will not listen. And now we hear, you know, the same thing 
that we heard about this morning. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. The word of God is unto them a reproach and they have no delight in it. This morning we were warned that about being blind. And the warning is that we are accountable because we have seen. Here we are also warned about being deaf. About not wanting to hear God's word. To have no delight in God's word. That it's just not as exciting as the latest show. It's just not as... As, as, as packaged, as, as uh, palatable, and as peace-peace, and as attractively, and as, as polished, and high quality, and therefore it's not interesting because it doesn't go to the itching of the ear, or the eye, or the multimodality media that we are interest, uh, normally consuming. God says... Don't listen because it's entertaining. Do you hear my father heart? Do you hear me crying out to you? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked may turn and live. Turn ye from these paths of destruction and live. Wisdom's highest, noblest treasure, Jesus lies concealed in thee. Grant that this may still the measure of my will and actions be. Let meekness and holy simplicity rule me. In heavenly wisdom, O Lord, let them school me. If truly I only know thee as my Lord, Ah, then, I have wisdom's most perfect reward. We have seen that one godly generation does not guarantee another. We've seen that there is a fount of evil that we need God's help to deal with. We see that we can't, from this morning, that we cannot trust in the outward keeping of rules and the comfort of a community that is like minded to replace a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That this needs to be what we are about so that it is alive, it is powerful, it is not peace, peace. But we can, with God's power, truly repent of, of, uh, of, and be changed and transformed rather than conformed in that we can know Jesus and be changed through dying and resurrecting with him. With that, we conclude this afternoon's service.